welcome to Poetry Spotlight. I am your host, Jeremy Dusa, and joining us today is Manuel Iris. Manuel is a Mexican poet, educator, and academic who served as Poet Laureate for the city of Cincinnati from 2018 to 2020. He earned his BA in Latin American Literature from Autonomous University of Yucatan, an MA in Spanish from New, New Mexico State University, and a PhD in Romance Languages from the University of Cincinnati. The author of two books, Iris's The Disguises of Fire won the Rudolfo Figuera Regional Award in 2014, and Notebook of Dreams won the Merida National Award of Poetry in 2009. Iris has published poems, essays, and translations in magazines and literary journals all across the Western Hemisphere and beyond, including Mexico, Spain, Chile, Cuba, Colombia, Portugal, France, the United States, and Angola. He has also given talks, lectures, and poetry readings in literary events and conferences across cultural centers in Mexico, the United States, and Europe. Manuel, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Jeremy. Thank you for having me. I would like to start by having you read, if you don't mind. Yes. Um, I want to read a poem that is some sort of a, of a letter of presentation for me. It's a poem that I wrote here in Cincinnati and that I think that talks about my experience as a poet and, and as an immigrant here. Um, it is also uh, following the tradition of George Ella Lyon of writing, I am from poems, which is a thing that I learned that it existed once I came here. This is a poem, the poem is called, I am from here. I'm gonna read it first in English and then in Spanish, which is the language in which I write. I am from here. One is from the places that he has arrived, from the language in which he can't dream and one day it happens and he wakes up wondering which one is now his house when there is always a heart elsewhere. One comes from the streets that never are the same when he returns. One comes from the moment in which he decided to leave and from that other one in which he realizes that everything departs, that it's impossible to stay even if you stay, that it's impossible even if you come back to be back. I write a verse that is like a farewell and I point at it. I am from here. Soy de aquí. Uno es de los sitios a los que ha llegado, del idioma en el que no puede soñar y un día sucede y se despierta preguntándose cuál es su casa ahora cuando siempre hay corazón en otra parte. Uno proviene de las calles que ya nunca son las mismas al volver. Proviene del momento en el que decidió partir y de ese otro en el que entiende que todo se aleja, que es imposible quedarse aunque te quedes, que es imposible aunque regreses, regresar. Escribo un verso que es como una despedida y lo señalo. Soy de aquí. Awesome. Thank you. Man, I, I love that your poetry is in English and Spanish. And I... You know, I, I've never really listened to the musicality of poetry in other languages before. You know, I've, I've heard poetry in other languages, but <laughs> um, it's interesting to have 
one compared against the other. Absolutely. And, you know, you, you said you write in Spanish, you know, and, mm -hmm. and is it is it difficult to move that musicality to English? Because your your English reading just rolled off the tongue and it was awesome. Well, I um I don't, they, they, I don't know which one is the, the, the real option. I'm either a really good translator of myself or a really bad one. Because um, when I am writing the English poem, I am writing an English poem. I, I, I try to follow the translation, but I am really trying to write in English. So sometimes my translations don't follow exactly what is happening in the Spanish. And I allow myself to do that only with my poems. When I'm translating another poet, I try to be more faithful. Um, but when I'm translating myself, sometimes I tend to interpret um, what I was trying to say because I write with my ears. I need the poem to be musical. I need, um, I, I do believe that um, poetry has to be singing or otherwise is something else. It is just not poetry. And um, also when I'm translating myself into English, sometimes I like the economy of the English language. And I can say in English with very few words what I already said in Spanish. And usually what happens then is that I go back to the Spanish original and change it. Uh, most of my editing is done by subtraction. I almost never add more words to a draft. I always take out. I always add silence to the poem. I am constantly pursuing silence. And silence is the same silence in both languages. And because my, my poetry is heavily based in what is not said, is heavily based in, in the silence. I believe in, in, in epiphany and epiphany depends on the silence. I am not a poet that is trying to say, to, trying to say everything. I, I am a poet also. As a poet, I am not sure of many things. I doubt. I, I believe in that I don't know in the center of the heart of a poem that, that the Polish poet Wisława Szymborska used to talk about. She believes that not knowing is part of the poetic artifact and I believe so too. So when I am in between those languages, which are the two languages in which I live, I teach literature every day in English. I, I speak English most of my day, every day. Um, I still haven't written a poem in English as, as the first draft. Never? Never, still not. Still not. It's, it, it hasn't happened that I say, okay, this has to come out in English. Not yet. I assume that it will happen because I have seen myself changing little by little in all of these years that I've been in the United States. Um, uh, when I just arrived here, when I just arrived to the States in 2006, not to Cincinnati, but to New Mexico, where I did my master's, I got to Cincinnati in, 20, in, to, in 2008. Um, I wasn't even able to enjoy poetry in English. I still depended a lot on translations, um, but that has changed. And I have had a beautiful experience of reading for the first time things twice. I read, for example, I read um, Walt Whitman when I was a very young poet in Mexico, but I read it in translation. I was not able to read Whitman 
in English. And then later on, I read Whitman in English. And it's a completely different poet. It's the same poet, but it's a completely different poet. So I did get mesmerized for the first time twice. So in the past years, since I discovered that I was able to read literature in English, which happens, I don't know, maybe six years ago or something like that, um, I started rereading everything that I read in translations. And, and it was a beautiful experience because I was reading again for the first time. And I also believe that there is no close read, there's no way of reading more closely than translating. Because when you're translating, you think every word and, and you palette every word and you think about the polysemy of every word, each one of them. Um, so yes, the short answer, I never get short answers, but the short answer is it is, it, it is, it is difficult. It is difficult but it has become part of my system. Now I don't understand my own creative process without the translation process. That's fascinating. And, and you know, so that, that begs the question, what have you learned about composition, poetry composition? You know, what, what has the two different languages taught you? Where, where have you decided? Because you know, you had said the pauses are universal. You know, that, that, that moment yes. of suspense is universal. Uh, but I'm sure that where you place them is different. Absolutely. Language. And Absolutely. And my pace is different when I read in one language and the other. My, my demeanor changes a little bit. How so? Uh, yeah, my, my, my voice has more authority in, in Spanish, I think. I am more comfortable at the end. Um, but I think that when going from, from one language to the other, Poetry is not what is lost in translation. I completely disagree with that uh, misquote of Robert Frost. I believe that poetry is what survives the translation. If something can be said in one language and then in another, and you can still feel that there is a glimpse of eternity behind those words, then poetry happened. I have never read Sappho in Old Greek. And I still feel that love was understood by this poet. Sure. You know, I've never read Simborska in Polish because I don't speak Polish, but I, even believe that her influence is important for my own poetry. You know, yeah. I, I, the, 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 I, one of my plans in life is to be able to read um, poetry in French because I owe a lot to surrealist poets and I've never read them in that language. And I, and I'm sure that something was lost in the translation, but I am also sure that poetry, even though it's made of words, has to be able to go beyond words. Um, poetry 
is trying to say with words what we cannot say with words. That's, that's why I always say that for me, poetry is a translation of silence. Everything is an act of translation. And poetry is translating our silence into words. But at the end, poetry is birth, is born in silence and is going to silence. Um, so poetry is just this space in between two silences, um, connecting them is a bridge. We are a bridge in between two silences, just like wherever we were before we were born or wherever we're going after we are alive, in the same way poetry works. It's, it's a bridge in between two forms of eternity, you know, in the silence. And um, I, I do believe that poetry transcends its own uh, material, you know, in the same way that dance is to use the body to go beyond the body or painting is to use colors to go beyond colors poetry is using the words is using language to go beyond language i am not a poet of language i do not believe that poetry is an experimentation on language other poets do and i respect them um but i think that the experimentation on language is a result of a search um, of, other, of other means. It is it, the result of a spiritual search. It's a result of uh, existential search. And then we stumble upon the experimentation with language. At least that's the way I see it. Um, so I, I, I do believe that in the translation process, what is able to survive is the poetry. Not, it's not what is lost, it's what is able to survive. Okay. So when you, when you sit down to craft a poem, how do you, how do you know when it's done? Like, like is, are you following those silences? Are you, are you feeling the tension out? Is it a combination of those things? It, it, it what, to what extent are the words just a vehicle to get there? And how do you know that you're getting toward what you want? Because that, that's a really interesting take on yeah. the creative process. Yeah, I, I, answering this question is, is dangerous because in order to give you a, a, a satisfactory answer, I would have to, know what is happening with the poem while I'm writing it. And the truth is that most of the time, I have no idea where the poem is going to go. I, I believe in epiphanies when I'm writing. I believe that you know how your poem starts, but you never know where it's going or how is it going to end because you don't write what you want to write. You always write what the poem wants to be and you don't know. So I'm always hoping for something that I cannot plan. I'm always hoping for something that I can not uh, quantify. I know that a poem, I always reserve to myself the opportunity to go back and tweak the poem 
I feel that I have the authority to go back to my old poems and change them. However, that right stops for me when the person that wrote the poem and me are not the same anymore. What do I mean? Uh, my first book published in Mexico was written by a really young poet that never been outside of his country and believed that poetry was only a pursuit of beauty. I am not that guy anymore. And because I am not here anymore, I am not him anymore. I don't have the right to touch his poems. I would be updating it to a other to a different author. However, I have poems that I written three or four years ago, and I still feel closeness to them, and I still feel the authority to change them. I mostly don't. Um, sometimes I do. I have my books are always scratched and underlined and well loved. You know, um, because I, I do obsess about these things. Sometimes I know that the poem is done because the poem is the poem is saying something. Like I like when the poem has something to say and just say it. Um, I almost never think that the poem is done, but I recognize when I am done when I have reached the end, the limits of my abilities, yeah. I leave the poem there. Sometimes sometimes you're just working on a poem and you're working it, you're working it, and you, you put it in a drawer, you come back six months later, you work it again, and, and it just feels like you're destroying it. You're like, I can't improve Exactly, this exactly. I don't, I don't <laughs> let that happen. I don't like, because there is also this pursuit of perfection, right? Especially, I had, I don't know if this is a defect or a virtue, but I, I didn't study an MFA and I didn't take a lot of creative writing courses. I am an old fashioned poet in that sense. I just read and started writing and I took some workshops, of course. And, and sometimes I give poetry workshops, but I still work a lot with intuition. Sure. I still work a lot with what I don't know. I don't have that. I'm an academic, but I, but I, I but not when I'm writing. Mm -hmm. When I'm writing poetry, I let intuition take over. I don't write with knowledge. I write precisely pursuing the unknown sure. in the process or in the subject. Okay. Yeah, and you had said like you when you moved from Mexico. America. I mean, I'm sure that it expanded your worldview and gave you a whole different insight on not just mm -hmm. not just the world, but even yourself. And, and I'm wondering, like, you know, how how did that change your writing after you left Mexico? You know, what what kind of what kind of poet are you now, and and how is that informed by your heritage, contrasted against where you know Ohio, which yes. You know, 
Well, many things changed. Um, well, every poet is a, is, is a work in progress, right? You, you, you don't die the same poet that you were born. Um, in my case, I think that I have like two or three births uh, into poetry. Um, I discovered that I wanted to be a poet in the Yucatan in Mexico and I started writing. And then when I came here, when I came to the States, my intention was to just to continue doing what I was doing and keep publishing in Mexico, keep doing my things there. However, when I, when I was here, thinking that I was going to come back, I was sharing and spending a lot of time with poets from all places on Latin America, still in Spanish language, but many other countries, all other graduate students, visiting professors, my professors here, they were from different. So I started understanding myself as a Latin American poet. I was not anymore a Mexican poet. I was a Latin American poet in this Latin American world in the United States. And I got interested in Latin American traditions. And I, and I my, my doctoral dissertation talks about poetry from Colombia, Chile, Mexico, and Venezuela, for example, because I was interested and I, and I traveled to these places thanks to uh, fellowships and stuff. And, 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 and I, I was interested in, in, in understanding poetry in Spanish language, not only Mexican poetry. And then when I met the woman that is now my wife, when my daughter was born, when I realized that this was going to be my home, I started looking at English as a necessary language for poetry. How so? If this was going to be the place, if this is maybe the place where I'm going to die, I also want to be a poet here. Okay. And I want to share with other people. And I want to know the people that is here. And I want to be a full part of this community. So I decided to do that. And then 2018 happened, which is the most transforma uh, transformative year in my life. That was the year that I published my first book, uh, my first bilingual book, Translating Silence. That was the year that my daughter was born. And that was the year that I became the poet laureate of Cincinnati. Mm -hmm. uh, everything changed inside of my house because there was a baby and everything changed outside of my house because I was a poet laureate. I was a poet laureate that didn't have many contacts. I, I was a poet laureate that didn't, that didn't know many of the uh, local poets of the city where he was the laureate of. Um, I was a poet laureate that at the same time was one of the newest and, and, and least known faces in the poetry of the city which made my, my tenure as poet laureate very interesting, I have to say, and, and, and very rich to me. Um, but I changed because first, I changed from being the Mexican poet to a Latin American poet. And now I just wanna be a poet before anything. I am, I think that poet has to be in the center of my identity, even before anything else. Um, I do believe, and I have said this 
two or three times after drinking a couple of bourbons. I, I, I do believe that if there is a God, when God was making me, he said, I'm going to make a poet. And then made all of the other things around that. But the center of my identity is my necessity of writing poems. You know, I, I once I once knew a brilliant writer who said that you don't choose most people don't choose poetry, poetry chooses them. Absolutely. And I've always believed that. You just realize what you are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's talk about your your tenure as as laureate. I mean, that, that must have been crazy interesting to go into it and you're you're meeting people for the first time, even though you're now the center <laughs> Almost of the everybody. <laughs> so how did that go? Like, you know, what goals did you set for yourself? Did you achieve those goals? Yes. Um, I, I set different kinds of goals. Um, one thing that I was able to see before becoming the poet laureate is that um, Cincinnati has many poetic chapels, you know, and they don't necessarily talk to each other. There are the poets from this university and the poets from that university and the poets that are in non-university and the poets that are doing spoken word. And, and they all have their own group and their own um, network and they don't necessarily mingle with each other. And I wanted to establish uh, breaches and, and, and points of contact for each one of these communities. And I think I worked on it um, pretty decently because since I wasn't part of any of this, I had free access to all of them. And sometimes I, I, I organized poetry readings. I organized a poetry reading series called all we have in common. And the idea of all we have in common was to give one central theme to all of the poetry readings, which could be home or belonging or strength. Or, and we will have these readings in non-traditional venues. I had a reading in a laundromat, for example. <laughs> I had, a, so I, we didn't do bars. And we almost never did like libraries and stuff. We, we did only non-traditional reading places. Sure. And that went very well because uh, the subject, for example, uh, the subject was strength or home or love. And I will invite people to write on that subject. You know, there was a, an open mic and then one or two feature poets. I never read my own poetry in this poetry reading series. Um, but I, I tried, so there was one, for example, there was one poetry reading about food and we had it in, um, university state, a college here and they have a culinary program. So we, we had the reading in this auditorium that is also a kitchen and students cooked food from around the world. So people went there and we were talking about nourishing and sharing and family and all of that. And there was these beautiful poems because we all have those things in common. One thing that was important for me, and we have to remember that my tenure as a poet laureate in Cincinnati was during the Trump era. And I am a Hispanic poet in a non-heavily Hispanic state in the United States. I, am, I was not the poet laureate of San Jose, California. I was not the poet laureate of Los Angeles. I was the poet laureate of Cincinnati, Ohio. And um, 
having a Hispanic poet that writes primarily in Spanish and that looks like me with an accent as the poet laureate of the city sometimes was challenging, but it is also a tremendous testament of the inclusivity of Cincinnati. You know, this city has been incredibly generous to me. I have a poetic career because these people in the community decided to trust me with this. So sometimes I intended to bring diversity. Sometimes, or most of the time, it just happened because um, people of different ages, races, venues, uh, identities got together in these readings. And my intention as poet laureate was precisely to foster diversity and to highlight the diversity that we already have in the city. And I think that that somehow happened, of course, the diversity problems in the city were not going to be solved by one poet laureate in two years. There is a lot of, of work and I will continue as poet laureate emeritus to try to do my best to help people dialogue with each other. There is one ambition that I couldn't get done materially. Okay. It's one book that I will still like to make. I couldn't because I told you it's the first, it was also the year that my daughter was born. So I, I didn't have much time those, day, those days. <laughs> um, or energy. I didn't sleep much. <laughs> but I want to make an anthology, which is something that maybe we can take to the state level. I would like to make a a polylingual anthology because there are poets in Ohio, in Cincinnati, that write in their mother tongues, but they are Ohioans. They are Cincinnatians, you know? Um, we have in Cincinnati people that has been born in Cincinnati, but they write their poems in Hebrew. They write their poems in Arabic, they write their poems in German, they write their poems in Spanish, and they all translate themselves or not, but they are here. And they are poets within their communities, but we, it, it would be amazing to know and to, and, to, and to showcase how diverse we are. Now, finding these poets, getting these poems, translating all of this, because I wanted to make this um, anthology, my dream was to make this book that was going to be called Where We All Belong, an anthology of Cincinnati poetry. Um, and to have poets in their original language, in English, and if the original language is not Spanish, to translate into Spanish too. Um, but this is a major project. And it was going to be difficult to do even in those two years. And when I started my tenure, I really didn't know all of the people or have all of the contacts that I have now. So I think that now as a poet laureate emeritus, I can uh, start working on this project that really at that moment was way more than I could uh, chew. I didn't have the social means uh, to do it. I have them now. And I also think that it will be a great project if someone wants to take it to the state. Yeah. And, and I think I think that that makes sense. I mean, you have talked you talked about 
you know, feeling alone and, and, and feeling kind of cut off. And, and now you're in this community and it's exactly got to just draw you in because I know a community that completely adopted me. Yeah. It was beautiful. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. You, you had, um, you had a poem called the Leg- uh, the language of the house. Yes. And I love that. I think it's a beautiful piece. Um, it, it's, it's in it. You, you express about you express how your daughter is mm-hmm. growing is, is getting a little older you know she's is she she's three now she's three now she's thrown that's um that's adorable uh, she's it's a fun age it's yeah awesome. it really is i have a couple young kids and i, I can attest it's, it's wonderful um so so in it you would you you say uh you, you, there's a line about how you don't know if she's going to dream in the same language that you dream in this is i think is a beautiful sentiment that this this idea that she's in her own world and it's your same world you you're you brought her into the world you're, you're she's growing mm-hmm. up in your house but the experience is different um you know be beyond the this poem uh how does this uncertainty affect your poetry or or your parenting even. Yes. I I have never doubt of of where do I belong. I am I have a very <laughs> I have a very loving heart for these things. And, and I I don't feel like a person. You know, there are immigrant poets that are always longing for the place that they left behind. I do long for my house in Mexico. I, th- there are things that I, that I miss. One of them is not being different. One of them is walking into a place and not be the guy that stands out. One of them is not having an accent. One of them is, is, is just being invisible. I love the idea of invisibility, you know? And I love the idea of not having a word before the word poet to introduce me. I love to not be the Mexican poet. I love to be just the poet. Um, but now when I go back to Mexico, I miss my Cincinnati. I like having breakfast with Guerra and evenings with bourbon. And I miss those when I go back to Mexico. I have, you know, my daughter belongs here, you know, but the belonging that really has helped me to go through anything. It's not the belonging to my country or the belonging to anything. It's, it's the belonging to my family has always been the one that I cherish the most. I have doubted many things about myself, but I have never doubted that my father and my mom love me. And that certainty has helped me even when they are not here. That that gives me a place in the world. And I hope that that is the case of Olivia. I hope that my daughter can doubt everything except the love of her family. And I hope that that helps her in all of her hesitations in the future. Because the country could change. We don't know what is gonna happen. And maybe, maybe this country is gonna have another name in 200 years or maybe Mexico will stop existing but the love of her family won't 
that is more lasting than borders and countries. Sure. And, and it, it, it strikes me that, you know, if, if silence is your, your technical focus, yes. that, that love is your emotional, because absolutely. You, I mean, you've talked, you've spoken before about love and how you only write what you love, that even mm-hmm. the protests that you do come from absolutely. love. That, you know, it, I think it's, it's so iconic that you got, your PhD is in romance languages. Like it's just such an, <laughs> you know, like it's, it's absolutely, so absolutely. So I, I was wondering if you wouldn't mind expanding on that about that, you know, on, on that a bit, you know, what is your definition of love? Do you think, and, and do you find love in surprising places? Because I, I know, I think of patriotism as, as an act of love, like criticizing a country is only done, you know, if you, if you care about it, you know, if you love it. Um, but I'm wondering if you've ever just unearthed love in crazy places just because you followed your heart. Yes. Defining love is a very difficult thing for me because it's, 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 it's like defining poetry. As soon as you get to a definition, it's insufficient. Sure. Yet, you know that you're always pursuing the possibility of, of, of encapsulating it into a formula of words, right? To me, to me, love is the only way that we should relate to each other. I, and to the universe, you know. I believe in love as a form of of knowledge. I believe in love as, you know, Jorge Luis Borges, uh, Argentinian poet, said that love allows us to see others in the way that God sees them, you know. Defining love depends on the circumstances of that love. Um, The love that you can have for your country or the love that you can have for your significant other or the love that I feel for poetry or for Olivia, for my daughter, are very different forms of love. But they all give me a glimpse of transcendence. I think that love is the glen is when something that is in this world reveals a reality that is beyond this world to you. When you see a person, when you read a poem, when you hear that music, and that is revealing you something that is beyond its own means of existence. What I was saying about poetry, when, 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 when words reveal you an experience that is beyond words, and when this person is revealing you an experience that is beyond that person, and when this moment is revealing you something that is beyond this moment, love is happening. And this definition of love is very close to my definition of poetry. I don't think about those two things about, I think that they're the two sides of the same coin. 
Um, at least that's how I experience it. Um, do, do you think it's do you think it's possible for you to write a poem without love? I don't see why would I write a poem without love. Yeah. I don't see why I would do anything without love. Yeah. Um, one final question. If that first poem that you're going to write in English, mm -hmm. what do you think that'll look like? Any idea? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I write a lot of poems about poetry. Okay. I write a lot of that. That is really my, my, my central obsession. My central poetic obsession is poetry itself. And, and love, yes. Um, so I think that that first poem that I'm gonna write in English is gonna be a reflection on poetry itself. And he's gonna be explaining me why am I doing that? Um, you know, the funny part is gonna be translating that poem back into my mother tongue. <laughs> I don't know how I'm gonna feel about doing that, but yes. Yeah. Um, that is going to happen. I don't know when, but I'm sure it will. Absolutely. I have a poem in my latest book. Now that you asked me about love, there is a poem that is called Towards a Possible Explanation of Love. Mm -hmm. And uh, I give one possible definition of love. And, and you know how we say that we never stop being the kid that we used to be. And I write this poem for my wife and it's, it's very short. Towards a possible explanation of love. The girl that you used to be greets me from the bottom of your 30 years of age. And the child that I was say hi back to her, excited. To love is to not be careful and to let the children that we used to be go out and play together and then come back happy and dirty to show us unique leaves and stones. The child I used to be was to go out to the backyard of the house where you were a girl and play in the rain with you. Sometimes while we walk together, they too hold each other's hands. Hacia una posible explicación del amor. La niña que tú fuiste me saluda desde el fondo de tus 30 años y el niño que yo fui le corresponde emocionado. Amar es descuidarse y dejar que los niños que hemos sido salgan a jugar juntos y que luego regresen felices y sucios a mostrarnos hojas y piedras únicas. El niño que yo fui quiere salir al patio de la casa en la que fuiste niña y jugar en la lluvia contigo. A veces, mientras caminamos juntos, ellos también se toman de la mano. This is one possible explanation of one kind of love. But there are so many. And all that is beautiful. Thank you for sharing. Thank you. All right. Well. Um, <clears throat> this has been Poetry Spotlight, a production by the Ohio Poetry Association.
please follow the OPA on Twitter at Ohio Poetry, and a transcript of this episode can be found on the OPA's blog. Manuel Iris, thank you so very much for joining us. Thank you, Jeremy. This was this was great. Thank you so much. Thank you.